You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 16, Paranoia. Into your life, it will creep. So definition of paranoia is an irrational suspicion or mistrust of others. All right. And there was an interesting piece, Harry, back in 2015. It was a fellow called Tom Englehart. The article was titled, The Most Exceptional Thing About America is Our Paranoia. The problem with that thing is that guy there you just mentioned, is mm. I think he was under the, the hire of the CIA. Ah. And he's been paid to plant that idea in our heads. And so I'm very suspicious of anything coming from a guy Ooh. with that name. Paranoia strikes deep. deep. Into your heart it will creep. So, yes, we're living in a paranoid world in many ways, aren't we, wouldn't you say? I think paranoia has existed throughout time in different forms. Perhaps today we're more aware of it and we have the technology to have it filter out a lot more and quicker and in a wider expanse. Well, that's the key, isn't it? Awareness. Mm -hmm. And technology has made us aware of so many things that the conspiracy theorists among us are able to pull X number of facts together and tie it into a nice little bow called the conspiracy theory. Whereas hundreds of years ago, we didn't have that immediate access to knowledge and facts and what's going on. And so I think back then, it would be more fear for your survival than it would be paranoia. Nowadays, it's, it really is a mental sickness that is prevalent in a lot of people. So what you're saying, in a sense, then, is that technology has kind of twisted the original fear into paranoia? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. What is the difference between fear and paranoia? Well, it's the difference between the known and the unknown. I can be afraid of a tiger that's racing towards me, and it's a legitimate fear. Because it's based on fact. Based on fact and observation. The minute I walk through a space and imagine that there might be a tiger at any moment leaping out of the bushes mm -hmm. at my throat, I'm actually being paranoid. Except that some people would argue that perception is what you think you see as opposed to what's really there. Well, that's a very interesting psychological statement. But where do you take that? I mean, if, if everybody's perception is their own, right. then we can't share in any vision, in any reality, because it's a zillion realities, right? Yes. The point is, I didn't really want to get finicky with that particular example. One could talk at infinitum in, in circles about these things. I think the important part of this discussion is that we're making a distinction in terms of degrees. There are normal fears which are based on what most of us experience. Say a train is coming, a tiger is coming to attack me. That's clear, and everyone can agree on it. And then there are things that we can't all agree on necessarily, but do create fears at an elevated level for some people. Yeah, but look at communist Russia, okay. for example, right? When mm -hmm. that was happening, people were paranoid. 
they were afraid that their neighbor might turn them in to the authorities if they said the wrong thing Mm -hmm. about Mother Soviet Union. So there was fear there, but it was based on reality that was not clear, wasn't seen. It was there as kind of an intrinsic threat from the government. It was known to happen, but they had not actually witnessed it themselves. Right. But they were still afraid. So afraid not based on anything direct, but more on innuendo, on the possibility of something happening. Well, there's a perfect example, though. Would you classify that as fear or paranoia? It's a bit of both. Right. It's one of those cases where it's a bit of both. It's in some ways, it's, it was based on reality. Yeah, you because, haven't witnessed it, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah, maybe you heard your neighbor's neighbor get taken away. Right. Right, or, or your cousin or something. There was enough stories about these things happening that you were very cautious about who you talked to and what you said to them. Right. Which takes us really to into the area of free speech and how a paranoid society is a society where free speech can't really happen. And that's not a good thing. Are you referring to the U.S. right now? Well, in a way, a lot of countries, not just the U.S. Okay. But there are laws against treason. If you burn an American flag, mm-hmm. that's an act of treason. And you could potentially be given a lot of grief for that. So let's tie that back to fear or paranoia. Paranoia in the sense that the threat is implicit. Whenever a threat is implicit and not direct, that's a kind of paranoia. If you carry a kind of fear around with you that's based on that, then that's a kind of paranoia. Let's talk about perpetuators of paranoia. So in the past, for example, the church Uh is an excellent example of a perpetuator of paranoia. That's a good one. Whether it's heaven and hell, whether it's devils and demons, whether it's the lightning bolts will strike when you do this or that. Right. It's ideal. It's an invisible force Mm -hmm. that carries an implicit threat if you don't behave according to a set of precepts, laws, or what have you. This eye in the sky, this malocchio, as you like to call it. Malocchio. Malocchio, pardon me, you know, is, is gazing down. And if you don't behave, if you sin, you will pay for those sins. Mm-hmm. If you're a Hindu, your karma will be uh, pretty bad and things will happen in your next lifetime, perhaps. But it, there will be retribution in any case. And so if you're inside those religions and you're devout you're actually carrying around a kind of natural paranoia. Now, with all the technology, with all the advanced capability of transmitting information, of getting information, not only receiving it, but transmitting it on a wide spectrum, isn't it kind of ironic that in many ways we've elevated levels of fear or paranoia in our society? You would think that with greater information and greater access, we would diminish fears. In some ways, we've accentuated them. Well, here's the thing. Interestingly enough, the people who take those facts that are available now readily through technology and who put them together into a kind of conspiracy theory, those people are not paranoid. They're not afraid. They're actually seeing something and they're putting it all together and they're saying, this is happening. Look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, be aware of it. It's the people who aren't able to put those facts together 
that only get hints of these implicit threats and the dynamics around them. Almost like too little information? Or so much information that they can't filter it all and sort it out Mm -hmm. the way conspiracy theorists tend to be able to do. Those people would tend to be more paranoid than conspiracy theorists. Now, do you give any credence to conspiracy theorists? I do, I do. A lot of them are in a sense made up or artificially created. But you see these documentaries about Mm 9-11 and the falling of those towers Mm -hmm. and how really only a demolition from below could have brought those towers down the way they came down, etc. You wonder what else is going on there. There's many kinds of examples of that. The shooting of JFK, the conspiracy theories around that. There are lots of them. It's funny, though, because those are two good examples, which I've had discussions with people on, and oftentimes they'll say, wow, you believe that, you believe this. To me, it's, it's not what I believe or don't believe. If there's any question is what's important to me. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to question. So to me... Anyone who witnessed the assassination of JFK or had to do with 9-11, which is more current, reviewed all the information that was put out, whether it was accurate, true or not. You had to almost be naive not to question something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we do know that we are not getting all the information most of the time. Right. Government especially is bad for actually giving out all the information. The military redacts a lot of stuff that goes out into the public eye. Exactly. So we know that we're only getting partial bits of the story. And so that leads naturally to a sense of conspiracy. Why are they holding that back? Who's deciding? Who's running the show, really? Mm -hmm. That increases levels of fear or paranoia. Oh, sure. Absolutely. When people suggest that half a dozen bankers around the world basically are controlling the world economy, on the one hand, you think, well, that's outrageous. But on the other hand, you think that could very well be. My immediate reaction is no one's going to argue disparity in wealth. Right. What they'll argue is, is whether or not six people are controlling it or 100 people or 200. Yeah, but the conspiracy theorist would say in order to actually deal with that problem... You have to get to the source. And if the source is a half a dozen bankers around the world, then we have to ferret them out, show how they are controlling things, and do something about that. But you won't ferret them out unless you can begin to change the thinking of the public at large. It's the fundamental idea that I've got to deal with because I'm never going to have access to all the facts. Okay, so let's apply this. Let's go to the world of commerce and the world of the Internet And let's look at Google and Facebook and all those giants out there who have algorithms which allow them to profile data mining, mining, as it's called, allows Mm -hmm. them to profile millions and millions and millions of people around the world, know their habits, know their buying habits, understand where their interests lie and know more about them than perhaps they know about themselves. Yes. How do you as an individual apply what you just said to that fact of being profiled by these mega giants? First thing I would do is acknowledge that it's happening. So regardless of my emotional reaction to that, my acknowledgement of it happening already puts me in a different position because I now have some sense of control. Fear usually overcomes people when they have no sense of control. Yeah. 
I right? think that's true. It doesn't mean that if you have a sense of control that you still won't be fearful, but it's a totally different situation. It's like going to a doctor and he tells you you have something, even though you feel perfectly fine, he may be right, you may be wrong, but the point is there's a question there. I feel fine, yet you're telling me this and you're telling me that. So I may still have to listen to what he or she has to say to me, but I'm no longer approaching it from a point of pure fear. Okay. Using that same kind of thinking with Facebook, Google, I understand what's happening, what that implies. Right. Because data mining means that they're collecting my social insurance number, my credit card information, my buying habits, my viewing habits, etc. But what action can you take that will actually be meaningful at all in terms of these giants and what they do? It'll be meaningful in the sense that I have a little bit of control. I'm more aware of what it is that I'm doing on the internet. I know that when I purchase something, mm-hmm. that the likelihood of that information being passed around is extremely high. So right. I have to weigh the pros and cons of doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm going to stop anything from happening, but I'm not going to be in a panic mode about it. You're not going to get paranoid about it, you're saying. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that things still aren't going to happen, but I have more options. So I'll give you an example. I get this question a lot with credit cards. There are people who are deathly afraid of purchasing things online Mm -hmm. because of all these stories. Right. So I say, well, look, the reality of it is anything that's on the Internet, anything that's electronic has a trail. How much, where, I don't have to know all the specifics, and I'm not an expert on it anyway. So what can you do to reduce that? In a very simple example, I say, get yourself a credit card that has a 500 or a $1,000 limit and only use that card for any online purchases. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that your information can be taken or stolen and someone can still hit you? Of course they can. However, you've greatly reduced your loss and therefore you've diminished your fear. So, right, now, so basically you're saying put extra locks on your door if you're concerned about a thief coming in in the middle of the night. In a way. Yes, in a way, yes. Address what it is that you're concerned with, but don't blow it out of proportion. And again, silly example. My father, after my mom passed, he he was alone for 12 years in the house. And I would go visit him in the middle of the day, evening, whenever. I would go to the house and literally I could just open the front door because oftentimes he didn't lock the door, even though he was by himself and 80 years old. And because I'm also kind of like that myself, I say, Dad, it might be a good idea to lock your door or whatever, not what are you doing? Oh my God. And my father's response to me was, and I laugh when I think about this because I know it's kind of extreme, but he said, if someone wants to come in and steal my TV, they need it more than I do. (laughs) This was his attitude. Now I'm not suggesting that everybody take that attitude, but you know, the funny thing is my father never had anything stolen in his life. Right. I mean, I'm going to Paris with my wife in five days from now. We'll be there. Mm. And Paris has been the scene of some horrible terrorist actions, even a year ago. Yes. So I have every right to sort of be worried that something might happen to us while we're there. But I can't base my life on the possibility of something happening. Exactly. Because the worrying about it isn't going to change a thing, but it is a state of mind which can really consume you. We as a people are responsive. So we hear something that we like, we move towards it. We hear something we don't like, we kind of shy away from it. So if an organization 
says and does enough things that we like, we will inevitably move towards it and support it in different ways. So to the extent that we are slaves like that to our own desires, selfish desires, we are prone to being under the control of organizations, governments, etc. Nazi Germany, good example. I believe that a lot of the fears and paranoia that exists in modern society has taken our focus away from spiritual people, community, and focused more on ownership, independence, and having various comforts to access much more than we need, at least that's my opinion. Okay. So you've changed the focus that individuals have. Yeah. And so in many ways, we've also increased our exposure. Oh, sure. So the paranoid thought in that world is, what do you want from me? Or what are you going to take from me? Exactly. What are you after that I have and that you don't? So what would you say is your greatest or one of your greatest fears currently? Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm not afraid of things in the world, per se. I think more it's a fear of being disabled physically, perhaps, so that I can't do the things that I love to do, that I can't help around the house, I couldn't go to work, that sort of thing. To be disabled physically would be probably the greatest fear I think I have. And mentally, you know, if I were disabled mentally, then it would be a different world uh, that I would live in. But um, yeah, primarily physical. What about you? I would say that it's probably in the same realm. It's leaving this particular planet with unfinished business. That seems to be my predominant thought currently. I mean, it could change. And, you know, it can vary from day to day. I have normal concerns like everyone. I always do my best not to let my fears get the best of me. It doesn't mean that I don't have them. I do. They creep in and out depending on mm-hmm. how I'm feeling. But generally, I'm pretty even keeled as long as I'm physically well. Right. right. I find that a lot of my state of mind depends on my physical state And from that, I mean the level of independence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think what you said is probably a common fear. Especially at at my age. Yes. Mid-60s. Right. Right. Um, I I sometimes think that I've learned, for example, that ordinary conversation and being around people, not every minute of the day, but more frequently than, than used to be, I find it a great source of tranquility in that. There's something that I can't describe. It doesn't mean that anyone's doing necessarily anything for you, but puts you in a different state of mind. It doesn't make you feel like you're the only one dealing Mm -hmm. with things, which is interesting because it's contrary to the world that I'm in from a technology standpoint, which does the exact opposite. It pulls people away from other people and makes them more solitary in many ways. Well, that's it. The whole internet thing where people are in front of their computers communicating in isolation from each other is more prone to a paranoid worldview than when you're out in the community and you're talking with people who can sort of set you straight if you're thinking strangely about something or can give you the facts from their point of view, that sort of thing. 
it's easier to get fermished, if you like, yeah, when some, you're behind your computer all day, right? Yeah, and sometimes not even talking, uh, just being out and observing. You don't necessarily even have to be discussing anything. You could be out for a walk in the woods. There's yeah. a certain serenity and certain peace that comes from just being in touch with your surroundings. Sure, or, or in a cafe, just observing people and how they communicate, how they behave, etc. Yes. You can learn a lot as to what the state of affairs is just by doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should wind this down. Yes. And we should end it probably before those uh, hackers that uh, I'm worried about are going to actually hack in and take this uh, podcast down. So, uh, As a matter of fact, the CIA (laughs) is listening in right now and they're going, those are two dissenters. We have to stop those two guys because those two guys are putting ideas into people's heads about not to be too afraid. Well, the thing is they don't know that we're agents, we're double agents for the country of Upper Slobovia. And they were here to wreak havoc on the Canadian society. But we won't say that. We will we'll cut that part out. Okay. Okay. Okay, comrade. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at ConnectingDotsMedia.com.